do what you like to do and enjoy what you're doing and then everything comes automatically by itself and sometimes earlier sometimes later but don't chase financial goals or don't chase visions which are not your own you have to have your own vision and you have to enjoy and and, and like what you're doing and then you don't think about 32 hours 35 hours a week or 40 hours a week working it's not measuring time it's measuring success measuring performance and if you like something it's merging there's also not this work-life balance it's one thing it's it's your life and if you enjoy what you're doing, it's not perceived to be work. It's, it's part of your life. And then it's almost 100% the case that you're going to be successful. Hello and welcome to the Ronnie Lever Show, where every week we bring you fascinating guests with inspiring stories of success and overcoming obstacles from the world of sports, business, and entertainment. To support this channel, please subscribe, turn on the notification bell, and hit the like button so that we can deliver you the best content possible. He grew up in Graz, Austria, and enjoyed his own successes in the world of sports as a member of the Austrian swimming national team and the national diving champion. He decided to stay in the sports world and started his own company with a bang. In 1991, together with his co-founder, they started a company and created an ATP tennis tournament on the rooftop of a shopping center. Starting with the regular event business just a few years later, in 2003, they expanded international. Today... They are producing some of Europe's finest tennis tournaments, including the Erstebank Open Vienna, the Bass Open in Stuttgart, and the Bet One Open in Berlin. And he's also a member of the board of the ATP, joining us live from Graz, Austria. I'm delighted to have him on the show. Please welcome, here is Herwig Stracker. Woo! <laughs> Thank you for the introduction. And welcome everybody <laughs> from my side as well. Thank you for having me here. And, and today we'll not only talk about your story and also where the world is going in terms of the, um, the sports world that we're in and also how your story has actually shaped or been shaped by the world of sports, but also we will talk about some um, details that you can learn and take with you as well. But when you look at your life today and think back at your journey, was this what you had imagined as a kid? No, not at all. I think this was a... A career with a lot of crossings where I probably took not uh, always the direction I was supposed to take or I thought I would take as a, as a kid. So, no, at, not at all. Again, I, I, of course, sport was always played always an important role in my life. So this was somehow expected. But to, to be in a leading role in, in tennis globally in, in many dimensions, of course, was not expected. And I, I feel very pri privileged with that. Yeah. Wow. And, and when you say that sports always played a big role because you were, you were a swimmer and also a diver in a way and, um, and very successful in a national level. And was sports, did sports already play a big role in your family when you grew up or how did you get into that? Yeah, it was, it was, in fact, it was a, it was a sporty family. A lot of activities were done. So not on a super professional level, but, uh, we always were in touch with, uh, activities, sport. Um, and so that's why I somehow entered in tennis and swimming and uh, swimming became actually the bigger part in my, my first 20 years, uh, uh, very, very intensively. And then tennis took over more or less. So yeah, the, this passion and the fascination of sport always was there and still is there. So which is, it's, I think a very important base, uh, if you want to be successful in your career. You're mentioning a very important part because when you look back actually at your active uh, career in sports and, and you did this on a very high level, 
what learnings did you get back then that you're still actually that you took with you in your professional career afterwards? No, I think there's a lot of uh, parallelity or, or synergy between between uh, top whatever in, in what uh, dimension, but top sport and professional sport and professional business. So. Uh, first of all, it's it's the the learning that you have to work hard and train hard to achieve something. And so nothing is coming from itself, not even with a, a lot of talent. So this is something everybody learns, I think, uh, through sports. And still, we still work hard to achieve something, uh, even though people might not see that. But uh, it's it's reality. So this is uh, the, I think the most important learning uh, from sports. And and besides that, of course, it's it's the commitment, the dedication. Um, if you like to do something, then you do it right. And if you do it right, the success will come automatically at some stage, sometimes sooner, sometimes later. So these are the key learnings actually from, from the career as, a, as an athlete. And I am sharing that with other athletes as well. And they, they prove it actually. So this is, is, I can only encourage everybody to be, to start a career in a, as a professional, a very intense sports uh, man or athlete. And, and that definitely helps in, in your career later on. And I can imagine also that, especially now, also having to do to deal with a lot of professional tennis players, for example, or professional athletes, that this also helps that you have this own background. And, and before actually we get into your professional endeavors, I, I read your CV and, and there was, it said in 1990, you went on an internship to New York for a bank back then at the time. So I guess this was probably right at the end of your studies or something somewhere around that, or maybe even after it. But, um, and I also spent a year abroad in high school. What did you learn through this internship and through being abroad? Um, what learnings did you take out of that? No, I, I did study in, in Austrian university in, in for business and law. And, and um, I, I always, it was always a goal to, to get international, to get the, the wider world and the experience and expertise from people outside Austria. So this was always in my in my blood or in my in my motivation. And so this this opportunity came up and so I took it. And um, at, at those days, talking about what was my goal at the at a kid or it was my father was a banker and so it was more like this this way of industry I was supposed to go. And so that's why this opportunity was taken by myself. And it was, I mean, living in New York for half a year and, and working there, not, not as a tourist, but as one of the locals. And, and uh, I think it was a, yeah, a big privilege. And I, I still have a very close connection to that city, go there many times. And, and so not only as a city, but also the, the mentality, the people. So this, this of course widened my, my horizon immensely. And this, for sure was also an important part in, you know, in, in, in the, the career I've taken finally. Oh, that's very interesting because um, you also already mentioned that before also you studied and then you went there to work in a bank in, in New York and then you come back, your father is a banker and, and then the son is going to take the, the career on and follow in the footsteps and suddenly you have the idea of, well, let's make a tennis tournament on the rooftop of, <laughs> of a shopping center or how was that? It was like more in the beginning. They have seen it as a as a hobby, a crazy hobby, uh, running events, and of course, they also my parents also like tennis, and so this is was some sympathy for that, but never ever as a as a main job. So it was more like a yeah again parallel uh, development. But all of a sudden, it took over uh, pretty quickly, and 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 
grow grew uh, much faster than we thought. So the idea with the with the tennis on the roof of the shopping center was kind of unique, and that put us uh, in an elevated position from the beginning. So. Uh, after a few years, actually, uh, my parents also realized, uh, okay, <laughs> this is something that might become serious. And, and I think today my father is, seems to be proud. Uh, again, he's also working, was working in, uh, as a, in, in the board of tennis clubs. And so, so he was close connected to tennis as well. So he's, of course, uh, my feeling is proud. Uh, what I have achieved, even though it was not the, the kind of, of, of profession in the beginning, probably everybody thought about, but uh, no, it's, and the same with me. So I, I, as I said in the beginning, there were some crossings. I took a different uh, way than I supposed to, but I think it was the right way in the end of the day. And I'm, I'm, I think it would take the same the same direction again if I would I would come to the same crossing. And, and in a way, also, I guess that you follow your passion, or you you stayed close to the to the world of sports, and and so take us with you. How did the idea get started with let's let's create a tennis tournament on a rooftop? Because there was, as you mentioned, something unique. It was not like you saw this somewhere else. It was really something. Hey, um, let's do this here. And and also, what were the first let's say the obstacles? So what were the challenges in order to get this done? No, in the in the beginning, of course, you have not the idea to become successful or run at some stage in a TP event. It's it's a step by step process and the. Original idea was to, and it was beginning of the 90s, it was to create an event more than just an ordinary tennis tournament. So there have been quite a few successful tennis tournaments, but they all were run in a club or in a, in a tennis environment, apart from the Vienna tournament, which I'm running now, which was always in the, in the Wiener Stadthalle. So, but then we thought, okay, in order to, Graz is not Vienna, so we had to attract people, attract uh, media, attract players. So we, we thought about some more creative ideas. And, and that's how the shopping center as an, as an location became, yeah, pretty, pretty solid in, in, our, in our mind when we started, uh, also because of the easier context to the industry, to sponsors, to commercial entities and to so it was easy to find sponsors there and the extreme kind of extreme uh, approach in terms of a location because you know usually you have an the atp which is the organization hosting those those events they they come to visit they, they have a side check and then they realize okay when they had a side check in in the shopping center there was nothing so we had to you provide a lot of uh, impressions, a lot of um, explanations, a lot of visions, uh, and you know, somebody from an organization, a globalization, comes to a small city, and there's two 25-year-old explaining the world. Probably is not easy, so we, we got the trust from them as well, and and that's how it started, and they trusted us, and uh, thanks God we we proved it. So it was, I think it's still the only ATP tournament on the roof of a shopping center. Uh, up today and and this was exceptional so it was much more expensive than every other tournament but we also got much more sponsors and more interest and that's how how it all started wow and today it would be probably you or somebody in your position actually to go there and to have a look right yeah yeah uh, not, not not having the look because it's a, it's a job of the management, but uh, of course being involved. So on, on the board level, if, if somebody comes up with an application, these are the things we in the, in the end of the day also have to to agree and decide. And so yes, it's actually a change of roles. Yeah. <laughs> 
So you you basically ended up in the entrepreneurial world, but not in in a normal entrepreneurial world, but in a sports business world, so to say. What would you say is the main difference between working in the normal economy and working in sports? Yeah, I mean it's the of course the your your content. I mean that's what you're doing is 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 probably more lively, more exciting, more emotional than uh, working in a bank. Maybe maybe not. So, uh, but I, and and this is is very changing actually from day to day. So many things happen because of of because it's a sport uh, because it's not an ordinary business. And and that makes it absolutely interesting to to work in that environment. So I'm learning still from day to day. Many things are changing. Like nowadays, I mean, we all see what's going on in sports. It's getting very commercial. A lot of interest there. So it's it's the level of professionalism is is I mean raised in, incredibly. So this has changed over the past thirty years. In the beginning, was sport was more still like more amateur sport uh, driven. But today, so, so being part of that whole transition and being part of that whole uh, daily uh, changes uh, makes it very interesting still. Wow. So, uh, that, and that's, we're, we're going to get more into that a little bit later. But looking back in, at your early days in the world, so you, you just had um, done your first event in, uh, on the rooftop. And then those first years, as the thing was growing, what were the, let's say, the early career struggles as a, a sports entrepreneur? And, and were there maybe some pivotal moments or something where you thought some make or break moments or something where it's like, uh, I don't know if this is going to be it. Or did you always, was it always just one way and that was up? No, you know, it's, it's. That's probably similar to any other business. Uh, today it's called startup, but uh, in the early days it was just founding a company. Uh, and in the beginning, you need to combine the right ideas with the right people who trust in you. And uh, and this is definitely the biggest hurdle in the in the first time. And then uh, if the proof of concept is there, it's always easier. So for us, of course, the first year was by, by far the biggest hurdle to convince people that what we had in our mind, that what we had was our vision, that what we explained to everybody, we we designed models and, and, and I mean, it was very difficult to explain somebody running a tennis tournament, not in a tennis club. And at those days, actually, the term event was not really existing. So today it's, it's almost like everywhere and then nobody using event anymore because it's used too many times. Uh, but in those days it was, was new and combine a, a sport event with um, entertainment, enhance it with other factors i think that was new and and that was actually proven by our first and, and second edition and then in a few years later the first top players actually got you know got to know it and i remember in 1994 it was henri leconte he was a former top 10 players i think he was still top 10 at these days and we were able to sign him so and this was for us a, like a, a milestone you know to have a top 10 player in playing in graz on the roof of a shopping center um and, and then actually was the that was the moment everybody, including media and then also national wide media, and, and that's why we became more and more like a national event from from a regional one, and and so that's was I think this was a very important step, uh, and we really delivered well and it was fun, so and we're still good friends. So this was actually definitely a milestone, and then of course uh, the next one was ten years later when we added the the Champions Tour to our challenger. So it was the beginning of the 2000s where people like Boris Becker, of course, Thomas Muster and, and 
uh, Jim Courier and, and, and Bad Rafter and whatever, whoever, Bad Cash, a, a lot of uh, Björn Borg, of course, a lot of, of top international names of former superstars. They all came to Graz, so to a small city, comparably small city. So this was definitely another milestone in, in terms of uh, attraction, attendance and interest and what we created. So, and latest by then, I think we also became an, an international uh, yeah, event. Wow, that's, that's fascinating. Do you remember what was driving you inside also in these early days uh, in, in order to when there were hard times or when you didn't know how we're going to do it? But what was actually the fuel that kept you going, that, that kept you moving forwards? And also, uh, where did you take the courage from? Yeah, it's, I think it's a combination. First of all, we have been a good team. So it was two of us. And this is always important. I think I can only encourage everybody to not run your business by yourself. I, I think it's always good to have a team. Uh, so minimum of two people, uh, the more the better probably, or maybe not too many, but um, a few people together with the same vision, sharing the same yeah, courage, as you said, and the same energy, same emotion. I think it was very important. So of course you have some moments where you know, you're not successful in, in signing sponsors or getting up, up the money you need. And so there was a lot of um, enthusiasm from the beginning. And, and thanks God, in the end of the day, it worked, even if we didn't make money for many, many years. But uh, we liked our job. And I think this is what I can always give every, uh, encourage anybody. I mean, if you love what you're doing, at some stage, you will become successful. And at some stage, as a consequence, then, of course, you also become financially successful. But I think it's just doing something for money or the, the, the nowadays exit strategy to something to exit in five years. I think this was not at all our, in our in our mind. So we just did it because we loved what we were doing and we and that's why I think it became successful. But yes, there's a lot of uh, hurdles and a lot of ifs and a lot of what if. And so we had two approaches. Uh, first of all, very optimistic and, and, and straightforward and committed in, in a, that what we did. But also at the same time to have some kind of parachute. So what happens if uh, we're not successful? And and my partner was in tennis, and so he, he had a, an alternative. In the end of the day, I could do the job which I was supposed to do. So there was always a a, a plan B uh, as a as a backup, uh, and we never went too risky. So yes, it's a very risky environment, a very risky profession but in the end of the day we never risked too much so i think and, and thanks god we never needed a parachute so um we never needed to rent money or to to, to, to borrow money or to rent to borrow money from banks or so it was always self-invested so it, it was i think it was a stable slow but very consistent growth and uh, after 30 years i can say we're still growing so it's but it was never a, a step like in, in a huge step it was always in in small steps but I think that's also important if you want to have a sustainable uh, business and a, and a long-term success. Wow. And you mentioned also the importance of, of having the right people on your team. And even if you're just starting out with a partner, then it's a team of two. But after you are growing and growing, so you need to add more people actually into your team. What are the important character traits of somebody? Or how, how do you choose talent? And what are the important character traits that you choose to work in the sports field or to work on your team? I mean, first of all, it's probably easier to in nowadays when you talk about employer branding and how to be an attractive uh, uh, commercial entity. Uh, it's definitely easier to get somebody into an event business or into sports business. So there are a lot of people were interested in earlier days. 
Um, and so that's why it wasn't too difficult to get people, but of course it's very difficult to get the right people. And um, we, the process was pretty similar all the time. So people started to part-time work uh, in, in our office, in our project, and then we got to know them closer and better. And, and, and that was a very, very smooth way actually to, to in, include them in, into our company. And, and many of them actually started as whatever linesmen or other people at the tournament. And then, uh, so we had a, a good proof uh, for, for both of us. So the, the, the employee actually knew, got to know more about our, our entrepreneurship and, and, and the other way around. Number one and number two, in, in terms of choosing the right people, I always followed the principle that the personality and the character of a person is, is, the, is the key priority. Um, so because you can learn mostly anything, uh, maybe some technique stuff or engineering is, is maybe special, but in, in, our, in our world, you can learn probably most if you're smart and if you have some basic abilities and, and and this is, is is the commitment and the dedication and the uh, and the passion for something and and that's how we choose people and uh and up to now i did not change that that uh, strategy and uh so we have a very good team so obviously it works huh? and some abilities and some you, you can learn yeah if you you can pick up you can get experience and and so that's that's the team grows and grows, uh, how the team grows and grows. And, and yeah, in the end of the day now, as a group, we have more than 50 people. So it's, it's, yeah, as I said before, it's a consistent growth. Wow. That's, that's really beautiful. And, and also it, it goes back to the principle of hiring for attitude and then teaching or training the skills afterwards. Or, I mean, if somebody already brings them great, but it's really about having the right attitude to fit into a team. You mentioned something before about, about taking risks and that you were not taking a lot of risks or not taking big risks. Now, looking back in the late 2000s, you actually, um, you took over the tournament in Vienna as a tournament director. And um, well, for some, it, it might be considered a bit risky because at the time, just to, to look at, at Vienna, the, the Vienna tournament at the time, it was not a lot of audience drawing. There were not a lot of top stars there. And also it was not like it was, um, flowing with money all around. So basically, you came in and it was quite a project actually to turn it around. And, and I mean, just to, to take it away, it really turned around incredibly. But, but how was that when you first came to Vienna and you, you thought, that's something I'm going to do? And, and what was the vision behind it that you, that you actually, you might not call it a risk, but you, that you actually took on that endeavor? Yeah. Um, as you speak, I actually thought about probably from some for somebody from the outside world, it's a huge risk. So, and that, that's what actually I heard many times. It's a very risky job and it's a very risky environment. So maybe it's like a like a Formula One driver. A Formula One driver probably if he drives the car, not really perceiving it as a risk. So maybe he thinks it's also just doing my job. And it's for somebody like us, probably driving a Formula One car is a big risk. So maybe that's that's a similarity which which explains it. So again, for us in, in the being in the business, knowing all the, the the key parameters, I think it was not too risky. But maybe from an outside world, it, it seems to be uh, pretty risky. But and yes, taking over in in, in Vienna, it was making a, a huge loss and uh, was running by the by the venue itself. And so. Uh, I was always and, and yeah many years in in close contact with uh, with Leo Hoema who was the former tournament director and much more with with Peter Feigl who was the co 
tournament director and to some stage it became pretty obvious that uh, it needed to change and also in terms you know leo turned i don't know, he retired i think even so that was a good time and and i have to really give them credits that they gave me the full trust that uh, i'm the right person to make the change and uh, i didn't even present some concept but i just believed it needs some fresh up some modernization now and now there's digitalization so i think we and, and yes the vision of course was to to bring it back to to that level which the tournament has been in the 80s 90s with uh, the best players in the world um, full stadium uh, yeah that a key event in austria one of the top sport events in austria so these were my goals and you know looking at back at 2023 edition i think we achieved we almost overachieved. So I think it, it's probably definitely one of the most successful sports events in Austria. We probably bring the international best athletes and you know, to, to, to Vienna, um, globally superstars. And I think this is, and it was sold out every day. So I think we almost overachieved, so, but um, we already have plans for the next steps and the next 30 years and to grow again. So, now, there's a lot of potential still, and and as I said in the beginning, uh, sports and especially tennis is in a very good um, position at the moment uh, in term in the entertainment world. So tell us about actually how that happened, because from actually making a lot of debt, the tournament itself, then also um, not having a lot of audience in there. Now it's basically sold out every day. I remember those days when even at the final day there was. It was not even half full, even though there was an Austrian tennis player actually winning the final and, and so on. So it, it was a lot of things. It was not like sponsors were lining up to, to, to sign. And, and how did you approach it? How did you then go in and, and what were the things that you needed to tackle? Yeah, again, first of all, it's a it's a long term plan. And I wouldn't even say plan because many things happen automatically, but uh we had the vision, we had the goal, uh, which I mentioned before. And, and I think what's always important to remember and, and, and get yourself into, or into your mind is that it's a people's business. Uh, so it's, it's about how you talk to people, how you treat people, how you uh, welcome them, how you appreciate them, and, and that in many dimensions. So, of course, with sponsors, with media, and very important also with players. Uh, so that was always the highest the highest uh, uh, priority actually to treat players which is the, the key in, in our in our world because they they are representing the product which is playing tennis and so we said okay let's treat them maybe better at other events let's treat them preferred let's give them that's what we still do so in the beginning i said instead of investing more money into specific names let's treat all of them better and hopefully it comes back and that's still my my belief that by treating everybody, respecting everybody, treating them up to employees, I mean everybody, respecting everybody, treating them as good as you can, uh, it pays back. And um, this sounds simple and that it's very difficult, um, but it works. I can just encourage everybody. It's 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 yeah. I think the way you the way you treat others, they treat you, and so. Up to now, like last year again, and coming back to 23, I think there's a, a competing tournament in the same week. Uh, they also have good budgets, but uh, most of the players choose to play Vienna. So I don't know, is that the, uh, the consequence of, of, the, of this strategy or is it just, I don't, that's diff difficult to prove, but I, I believe in it again. And, and so this is definitely part of the, of the concept. 
and the ATP Tennis Tournament in Vienna has also been voted, I believe, several times by the players themselves as the, their favorite ATP 500 tennis tournament, which also speaks for itself for everything that you're doing. And when I was listening to you, one one of the things that actually became apparent to me was the the importance of networking. So what you just described, would you also call this maybe your recipe for success in networking and, and how how important do you see networking? Yeah, I mean it's it's networking is for me that there's some some negativity also ne negative aspects in that in that term. Uh, it's it's more again as I said before it's about people and talking to people. So I would say communication is definitely key. So how you communicate, the number of people you communicate uh, and we always try to be positive. We always try to be motivating. So if you want to call that networking, fine. But I think it's 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 yeah. The more people you get contact into, the the higher the possibilities you get to meet the right people. And and yes, again, if you want to call it networking, the networking is very important. I would not call it networking. I think it because networking seems to have always the goal to achieve something. I think it's just just yeah. Again meeting people, respecting them, talking to them, explaining them your vision. And, and that, that's also interesting. Now, looking back, I can, I can claim that, that actually, if you, if you have a vision and if you communicate that vision to many people and repeatedly communicate it, then it happens <laughs> at some stage. So there seems to be some kind of automatism. If you, uh, yeah, believe it, do it, uh, then, then it, it happens. So this is, uh, a learning I had, but obviously you can only tell it uh, looking back. Uh, it's difficult to tell it looking into the future. I remember actually another day that, that really um, defines your vision in a way. And that was back in the day when the tennis tournament in Vienna was still a 250 tournament. It was in 2014 and it was the day before the draw. So on a tournament on Saturday, we draw. And on Friday is basically the last day where, where you can still name the wild cards, where you can still give out wild cards. And back then you were negotiating with two of the top players at the time, with Andy Murray and with with um, David Ferrer. And and you were basically you you kept two wild card spots open, and and then you were negotiating back and forth. And basically last minute you signed both of them, and it was for an ATP 250 event, it was incredible. And those two players also performed incredible because they played the final against each other. And, and they were very excited about the, the whole experience there. Um, is that also maybe something that back then, as it was still a 250, that, that you're most proud of? And it was definitely a milestone in, a, in the Vienna tournament. So this is exactly what you were just mentioning happened. Uh, and when I said before that you have to to um, convince people or tell your vision or to many people. And I did exactly that, even with Andy Murray. And, and the vision was, of course, becoming a 500 at one stage, which seemed to be completely impossible uh, because there were 13 tournaments or 11 tournaments and all of them were successful. So this is exactly what, what I'm proving, what I've said. So I told Andy, I told David, I told so. And, and then at the end of the day, we had a good the tournament, they, they liked the tournament. They said, oh, listen, look, this is minimum of 500 level and the quality you, you provide for the players and blah, blah, blah. So and maybe Andy talks to somebody. So that's how, how everything and uh, yeah, it becomes some kind of a, of a self-dynamic self uh, process. And 
And that's that's what I said before. You have to trust in and, and believe in it. Um, talk to many people. Again, call it networking or not, but I try to infect everybody with your positive vision, with your ideas, and, and then at some stage it happens. Maybe sometimes sooner, sometimes later. Uh, but this this 2014 tournament definitely was a milestone because the year after we got the 500, you can call it coincidence or you can call it maybe the fulfillment uh, or the implementation of that vision. Uh, I don't know, but it happened. So it's it's was very good, of course. And from that moment on, it, it was a new dimension. I mean, be, being a 500 uh, in, in that part of the year where almost everybody needs to play, wants to play with a good environment. I think this was then probably easier to develop that tournament as it, as it was as a 250 in the beginning. Wow, and that's really incredible. And I, I remember that it was very, a very exciting time also to be part of the tournament. And um, so being a 500 tournament now and really being an established, a well-established 500 tournament, and I know that you always had visions of, of um, you wanted to have Roger Federer again before his retirement. That didn't happen. You got Novak Djokovic. I know that Rafael Nadal is still on the list. Um, 2024 would still be a possibility, but, but <laughs> let, let's see how he's doing. But how do you, let's stay one, uh, for one more question with the Vienna tournament. Where do you see the vision for the future for this tournament? Yeah, we are shifting uh, from a tennis tournament, as I said before, to the entertainment product. I hate actually to call it product, but it's we have to make that comparison. So that's a, the, the route we want to go. We want to, you know, everybody sitting at home with a five, whatever, HD something, uh, high definition um, uh, monitor or screen can see and follow a sports better than in a stadium. So that's that's no question. So what we now as organizers and promoters have to think about and, and do is to enhance that experience on site. So first of all, of course, it's being part of a sold out um, crowd is always interesting and nice, but also the level of, of experience and the entertainment we provide uh, has to be raised on top of tennis. Of course, tennis is the core and the key product. And that's the way we want to go. So enhance it with music, with live shows, with other things, with lights. So it, it it's, uh, needs to become more and more an entertainment product uh, on site because that's the only way to still attract people coming to the stadium. And I think we are in a, in a good way, uh, but there's a lot of potential um, to be done in the in the next years. And but I'm very positive, so we get good feedback from all the people. And 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 yeah, uh, be surprised next year. We have a we have an anniversary, and we have some some very interesting projects already in the pipeline. Fifty years, I believe, uh, tennis tournament in the in the Stadthalle as an anniversary. So that's gonna be exciting. So. Um, another hat that you're wearing besides the tournament director, besides the member of the board at the ATP is that you're also an athlete manager and not just in the world of, of tennis, but, but you, you're a manager, for example, of Thomas Muster, the former world number one, but you're also, for example, the manager of ex-NHL star Thomas Vanek. And you had been in the past also the manager of Dominic Team. So as an athlete manager, um, what is necessary in order to make an athlete successful? And, and for you, I think it's more about the, the business aspect in a way as well to, to create a personal brand around that, that athlete, isn't it? Yeah, that's actually similar, as I said before, to, to employees or to the team. I think it's the personality, which is, is, is the, the aspect uh, an agent or a manager has an influence on, uh, of course, not on the on the 
performance on the court, which is there's a coach and fitness coach and there's other people to look. Uh, I mean, still you have to choose the right people. So maybe that's also part of the of the agent and manager. But uh, that this this aspect of personality and and the same habits and the same um, abilities you you have you, we're looking for with an with an employee i think we, we also need to implement and, and 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 convince actually the athletes uh, we are managing and and this is for me is also a very basic but key element that the personality changes a lot so the way the way you play the way you present yourself of course then you the way how and and which kind of brand uh, you become um, through the years uh, this is is and how marketable you are it's in the end of the day uh, very close connected with with your personality. So there's a performance on the court in tennis, or in the pool in swimming, or on the on the slope in skiing, or on the on the ice in in hockey. And and there is a personality, and and I think only a combination of both in the in the right uh, height uh, makes a, makes a very successful and attractive um, uh, athlete. And this was always uh, my my purpose, and this was always my goal with all the athletes I. I have been managing, and uh, I think most of the time it worked quite successful. Wow, that sounds beautiful. Do you have a concrete example about this? Um, from can be from one of your uh, athletes, or it can also be of something, uh, maybe a personal brand story that you see out there in the sports world that really works very well. No, it's, it would be unfair actually if I pick some of the of the athletes I did. So I, I, I would keep it like it is. It, it's it's just changing the mentality sometimes and 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 in terms of being more outspoken or you know you had and, and these are that's why i was not, not want to use an example because the public should not realize actually what have changed in the in the you know behind the scenes to to make that specific person as it was seen in the public so i just this it's it's a very 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 difficult approach because you need to identify first uh, where the challenge is how to change your personality and and i'm not talking about how you speak in an interview or how you do with the media it's it's more about from the inside you know the, the confidence and the, and the way you present yourself and so this this was uh yeah purposely uh influenced uh and and yeah was most of the time again very successful and, and staying in the tennis world, actually, and when we think about um, public brand or personal brands, I mean, the, the, the three biggest ones, obviously, is, is Roger, Rafa and, and Novak. And, and that have all. And when you look at the, the fans' favorites in the last two decades, basically, it's been uh, Roger Federer for many, many years. Uh, now it has been Rafa Nadal, and, and I don't know about this year. But in general, why do you believe that those two are so... Besides, of course, their successes, but but what makes them so beloved by the fans? And, and even though that now Novak has overtaken them in terms of the uh, successes, um, but not on, on a fan voting. Yeah, I think this is exactly proving what I just said. So it's it's not only the performance uh, in your sport which drives your your value and your brand uh, value, and it's it's the the person you are it's the personality it's it's everything around it's it's these uh, little small things between the lines so it's it's and and that's i think and even though all three of them um, are completely different personalities all three of them have a big fan base and obviously 
probably Roger has the the, the biggest. But um, it's 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 different people, and that, that what actually made that decade or even more than a decade so successful for them also off court and in terms of business and in terms of commercial partners because they are so different and um yeah i mean talking about roger and rafa specifically they're in the beginning actually didn't used to be close friends but uh the way they they developed completely different the way they play was completely different their personality was completely different the the origin the, the region they're coming from was different so uh, everything was different, but in every day, both of them become superstars and and friends. By the way, so it's it's there's no one way of being successful, and and there's different ways. And with Novak, it's it's he's defining his popularity. I think uh, more about his his performance, uh, which is also fine. And I think if he would not be that straightforward thinking on 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 his performance and. And actually, sometimes even ignoring everything around, he would probably would not not have been so successful. It's, now you can debate maybe that he lost a little bit in the personality because of that. But it's 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 a different way. It's, it has to do a lot with your inner inner feelings and your personality again. So this is uh, exactly proving what I said. So in the end of the day, the most successful athletes uh, are those which have a have a very strong personality, in whatever extent. Wow. Wow. Uh, let's shift back uh, again to the sports industry as a whole, because you already mentioned how it has developed over the last 20, 30 years. And, and also in terms of um, where we're heading, you said that, that we're going more into the entertainment product, as you said, but also where do you see the, the sports industry going in the next 10 years or maybe even above that? Also, maybe with influences that are coming from, let's say, from Saudi Arabia and so on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's it's. I think ten years is impossible because the the pace, everything is changing, is accelerating significantly. So, uh, but the next five years, I think uh, it's it might be a clash between legacy values, money, uh, and uh, I hope that every organization is smart enough to make the right decision. So the thing what happened in golf is definitely a, a wrong, in my mind, a, a wrong approach. And I'm not uh, judging Saudis or anybody else. I mean, there's a lot of entities out there with, with huge pockets full of money. Um, but in the end of the day, the, the, the history and the legacy of a sport should not be changed too much because there's a good reason why those and again i call it product even though I, I don't like the word but this product becomes successful and it, it, it is because of rules it is because of the way the fans interact with the athletes and and so th there's a lot of reasons why it becomes successful and now thinking to maybe drive that success with money into different dimensions i think is the wrong approach so that everybody needs to be aware of of course it's very uh, appealing for for athletes who you know, trained a lot 20 years long to become successful and 99% of them did not become successful. So for the small amount of very successful athletes, yes, it's appealing to become a lot of money. But also, I think in, in, in the most popular sports, there's a lot of money already in that business. So it's, it's also a question of your, again, of your personal attitude, how much money more you want to make or can you be satisfied with the amount you're already earning? So 
these are questions I think the athletes have to discuss with themselves. But uh, again, I, I, there's a challenge with uh, again money coming into a, a business as it is everywhere and in sports that's is, is the the tipping point at the moment reached. But uh, I think we and the big sports will make the right decisions. Uh, hopefully, also including football, which they which I think about is creating a super league again and and it. On the other on the other side, now coming a little bit from from tennis and inside, uh, it, it those external challenges uh, create uh, energy and create uh, creativity inside the organization. So yes, a lot of things have not been ideal, and and even talking about uh, ATP, I think through those through those external challenges, actually we did a lot of improvements of our product with this profit sharing in, in, for example with the tennis players equal price money men women so there's a lot of things which happen in tennis now i think we are one of the leading sports actually in that diversity so and that happened probably because of outside threats so that's why i think it's good to have some competition and uh but in the end of the day i hope that uh, the sport the legacy will win and and as i said before if, if something is successful money anyway follows i agree herbig just um for you and we were already mentioning a few times that you're wearing many different hats how does a typical day in in your life look like and also how do you stay organized how do you organize yourself yeah there's two things wearing different uh, different hats is is more like a um Psychological or mental uh, challenge uh, uh, than than a time or an, an organizing challenge, but uh, in in terms of of time management and organizing myself, I think it it was important. It was an important step to to delegate and and transfer a lot of um, abilities and a lot of duties. Uh, and tasks uh, to to a, a very strong team, especially with the Vienna tournament. This is a we have uh, developed a, a great team over the past five to ten years, and they, they do a great job. So that's uh, why I actually involved in that event high level only anymore, and that gives me the opportunity to to other things. And um, I mean, talking about what I'm doing most, it's still tennis. So if it's ATP or, or managing players and main female women as a male female or is it about running the events yes it's it's all somehow connected so it's not leaving one topic completely uh, so that makes it definitely easier but there's also other things yeah i'm doing it and, and basically it's it's more again as i said before mental challenge to jump from one topic within a second to the next one uh, but that hopefully keeps me young and um, I, I, i go around with that <laughs> Um, what is one piece of advice that you would like to give to somebody who's just starting out on their journey? Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's basic. It's a basic advice, which I said already before, do what you like to do and enjoy what you like to what you're doing. And uh, then everything comes automatically by itself and sometimes earlier, sometimes later. But uh, don't chase for for uh, financial goals or don't chase for you know visions which are not your 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 own i think you have you have to have your own vision and you and again you have to enjoy and, and and like what you're doing and then you don't think about 32 hours 35 hours a week or 40 hours a week working it's it's 
it's not a it's not a me not measuring time it's measuring uh, success measuring performance and uh it, again if you like something uh, it's 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 a it's merging there's also not this work life balance which is always uh used i think it's 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 one thing it's it's your life and if you enjoy what you're doing it's not perceived to be work it's it's part of your life and and then it's almost 100% um uh the case that you're going to be successful Wow. If somebody got inspired, if somebody would like to find out more about you or also about the Vienna tournament, for example, where can they find you? I mean, yeah, there's, uh, uh, as it is very traditional on the website. So there's a lot of information on the website, also the links to, we're not hiding anything. So there's our email address, everything on there. So feel free to get in contact and ask questions. I, I, I'm more than interested uh, uh, to, to, support young people on their way up in the, in the career. And that, that's actually what I'm also doing a lot of times. I just can come from another meeting with a young athlete. So it's, it, it makes fun. It's, and, and, you know, getting older and older, you have a lot of experience. Some of the people ignore it. Some of the people want to hear it. So happy to support young people or people on their, on their way up. That's very beautiful. Um, any last 30 second thought that you would like to leave us with? <laughs> yeah, again, do what you like to do uh, and do it 100%, be 100% committed, no excuses, no looking left, right, focus on it, and then you become successful. Thank you so much. Thank you for all your wisdom. Thank you for all the golden nuggets you shared with us. Once again, thank you. Herwig Stracker. Yeah, thanks, Ronnie, for the interview. Thank you for sticking with us until the end. To make this content even more valuable for you, please leave a comment below and share your thoughts and also share this video with somebody you care about who absolutely needs to see this. Thank you very much. Have an outstanding day and see you next time.